You're listening to Workplace Perspective, an employment law podcast presented by Sapphire Legal. Workplace Perspective is a regular podcast series for employers and employees focusing on education, training, and the law to help organizations of all sizes develop and maintain successful workplace relationships. The opinions expressed by guests on Workplace Perspective do not necessarily reflect those of Sapphire Legal or its attorneys and should not be considered legal advice. And now, here's your host, founder and principal attorney at Sapphire Legal, Teresa McQueen. Thank you, James, and welcome to everyone to Workplace Perspective, where we are striving to raise the bar at workplaces everywhere. Today, we're talking with author and speaker Michael Ashley. Michael is the owner of and creative content specialist at Ink Wordsmith. We're going to be talking with Michael about artificial intelligence in the workplace. Michael's new book, Own the AI Revolution, Unlock Your Artificial Intelligence Strategy to Disrupt Your Competition, co-written with Neil Sahota, gives a surprisingly positive outlook on the use of AI in the workforce. I can't wait to hear Michael's perspective on this really interesting topic. Topic. It's going to be a great show. Don't go away. We'll be right back. The opinions expressed by guests on Workplace Perspective do not necessarily reflect those of Sapphire Legal or its attorneys and should not be considered legal advice. You're listening to Workplace Perspective, an employment law podcast presented by Sapphire Legal. Welcome back to our listeners and welcome to Workplace Perspective, Michael Ashley. Hi, thank you. Thank you for having me today. We're super excited. So before we get started, though, go ahead and tell our listeners a little bit about who you are and what you do. Sure. So my background is in storytelling, entertainment, and journalism. Prior to owning my own company, I was a reporter, blogger, copywriter, magazine columnist. And lately, I started a content company with my wife four years ago, and we specialize in storytelling to help people know, like, and trust our clients. And as part of that, I co-wrote the book that you mentioned with Neil Sahota, who is a subject matter expert about AI for the United Nations. So Thank much. You. So little time. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Well, you know, there's a lot of apprehension around this topic, and we've been talking a lot on the show about workforce of the future, Mm -hmm. and it's really obvious that tech is definitely going to play a more dominant role as our upcoming generations who have been raised on tech really start moving into roles that give them more say in actually shaping the workplace. I'm super excited to see that. And I really think that knowledge is power. Sometimes a lot of what is behind fear is just not knowing what everything's really about. Mm -hmm. And I think that's impacting the workplace. So what I'm hoping we can do today is give people a little more understanding about what that future in artificial intelligence might look like and help allay some fears. So start the discussion. I know that AI is is like a broad term, and Mm -hmm. it means a lot of different things depending on the context of what you're talking about. So maybe you could start out by talking about what we mean when we say artificial intelligence in the workplace. Sure. And so that can be a nebulous term for different people. But the what I like to say AI is, is any task or activity completed by a program or a machine that if a human being did the same thing, we would say it requires intelligence to complete it. And that's really a good way to begin to think about what AI is, even though it manifests in many different ways at the moment. I think there's a lot of already what would be arguably, I guess, considered artificial technology in the workplace. Mm -hmm. So kind of in my head, it's the data in, data out. Mm -hmm. So those are the things like the calendar program I use to help me schedule appointments or cancel appointments or the spreadsheet that prompts me to tell me, you know, your formula is not right or something. Right. 
that's artificial intelligence, right? Yeah, it, it absolutely is. And I think some of the misconceptions come from this idea because we don't even realize that, let's say, the uh, the thing in our email that's blocking spam and recognizing when an email is right. from your friend versus a spammer, that that's by by way of artificial intelligence. Yeah, it's really connected in our in, in our everyday lives, and yes. it's really in our work lives. I think of people a lot, a lot more than people realize. But I think what's causing the fear and concern is the more intelligence part of it. The more the the description that you gave, a yes. job being uh, uh, replaced or performed, or that could possibly be performed by something that's not human. Right. And I think that because we've been hearing a lot about this topic in the news, especially in the last five years, that the fears are increasing. And so if you look at a book like, for instance, um, Andrew Yang, who's running for president right now, he wrote a book called The War on Normal People just recently. And what he talks about is that this is the issue that we don't speak about. So much has been made in the current presidential campaign, luckily, about global warming, um, because that, that also is a major problem that we're dealing with. But little has been made about the threat of automation. And Andrew Young is one of just a few people that are talking about this enough. Um, and I would say it's still not enough. And what he brings up is the fact that we have some understanding that AI is coming for, let's say, blue-collar jobs. Truck drivers mm -hmm. is one that is raised a lot. But what people don't realize, and I observe this a lot in Orange County, is that it's also coming for white-collar jobs as well. And so our complacency can be our undoing. Because if you think, well, my job is safe, it's fine, no one's going to be able to do what, what I can do, I would beg to differ. Um, even in my own profession, there are AI ramifications as well. So there is a, a site called AI Writer right now that allows you to aggregate different content on the web to help you write blogs. Of course, at the moment, this is uh, plagiarism because it's essentially copying and pasting <laughs> other people's content. But how far is that from uh, original AI content? There are there are sites. I mean, the uh, the Washington Post has its own version of an AI writer. Really? Yeah. And there's a there's a, a website in China right now that the entire site. There are no editors. There's, I mean, no human editors, no human writers. It's all aggregated. Um, it's not the best thing I've ever read, you know, or or probably right. will be reading, reading. But the benefit that AI has is that it's learning. And so this is what exists now, but the data sets are, are increasing. That means it's getting better. It's refining itself, much like you and I get better all the time. That's the other dynamic part of artificial intelligence. It's improving. I, I do think it's interesting. I tend to discount a lot of things just because it's not working. Like even just the copyright stuff that you say. So there's a there's a platform that will take, for instance, our podcast today mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and send me an email afterwards that says, hey, your podcast is all transcribed. Look at it. Yes, yes. Like, yes. <laughs> I can't put that word out there. That doesn't no. So I just kind of discount it and I but I look forward to there are a lot of things I do look forward to. Mm -hmm. I think that from a workplace perspective, I know you say even the words we use to talk about artificial intelligence is sort of ominous, like coming for those jobs, replacing, sure. obsolete. But I do think that the flip side of fear always tends to be something that is almost kind of hopeful if you look at it that way. Like sure. automated jobs. I, I saw a show where they were talking about replacing people in, I think it was Amazon's warehouses, mm -hmm. with these little robots that go and get the product off the really tall shelves and move it around. And I'm thinking, okay, from a work perspective, I know that workplaces like that are plagued with injuries mm -hmm. and you know people who are shortening their work careers because you know they've been doing that kind of labor for a really long time yeah so i think the more hopeful side of it is kind of what your book is a, you know is sort of what you talk about in the book right 
Yes, and I'd say that, you know, technology is a double-edged sword. You're right. I mean, if this is preventing, let's say with truck driving, if it's, if it's preventing accidents, that's a good thing. If it's taking away jobs, it's not such a good thing. Right, right. However, um, I think that the benefits come from a symbiosis, the human and machine symbiosis. So recently, um, Neil and I are working on a second book called 21 Ways Life Will Change Tomorrow. And I was uh, interviewing a guy named Ross Goodwin, and he wrote a version of the book On the Road. If you remember by Jack Kerouac, he did an updated version that right. uh, has to do with artificial intelligence. And what he's excited about, and I am too, is the confluence of human and machine when it comes to creating art. Um, we may not be aware of this, but I mean, essentially, it is possible through just one indiv individual now because of technology, they can be a one person studio doing everything when it comes to playing all of the instru instruments, producing it, recording it, editing it. Um, the same may be true when it comes to writing and any other activities when it comes to art. AI can make us into the artists we've never dreamed of being before. And already that exists when it comes to filmmaking, too. Um, if you think about the amount of people involved in a production, let's say a few decades ago, and what can be accomplished with just one individual now, it's amazing. I, and I think that what you're talking about, again, is enhancing an individual. You're not talking about, it doesn't sound to me like you're talking about, you could have a studio devoid of a person creating art, because mm -hmm. I don't know if I agree with that. But it sounded to me like what you're saying is kind of what's happening in the workplace. Tools, tools. AI is a tool sure. to enhance what we're already doing, making it more efficient, um, freeing up, allowing people to do more things than they normally would. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you think about it, there's a book by Kai-Fu Lee called AI Superpowers, and that term couldn't be more apt. Um, it is about the superpowers of China and America, but it is about what AI does for you. In a sense, we do have superpowers when we use artificial intelligence. Our phones, I, I hear pushback sometimes. We, I wrote an article for Forbes about the idea that we're becoming more like cyborgs, and people push back on that. But if you think about it, this has been occurring for a long time. We are already doing it in the analog version. For instance, you're wearing glasses, right? People have different things that they use in their own body, whether it be a watch that's measuring biometric mm -hmm. data and advising different ways, let's say, this, to exercise better, sleep better. Our phones are an extension of ourselves. Um, and this is only going to extend further into the future where we, in essence, kind of merge, where we become, we have AI superpowers that allow us to be even greater or bigger than we are right now. Yeah, it's amazing. I guess if you asked anybody with a with a pacemaker what they felt about technology, be like, yeah, <laughs> exactly, right. Or people that require a, di a dialysis machine to live right. or need insulin shots. I mean, right. we are. Um, we, there's a symbiosis. For for a long time, it has felt more analog, but like I said, it's it's exponentially increasing and changing. That's super interesting. I think that well, that kind of talks about uh, talk a little bit about augmentation. I keep hearing that phrase a lot with regard to kind of the same idea that, you know, machines are going to help us do our jobs more efficiently rather than replace us. Sure. And, and that's kind of what you're, it's a little bit about what you're talking about, right? Sure. And I think if you look at developments like Elon Musk's uh, Neuralink, so Elon Musk has famously been on the alarmist side of right. AI. He said famously, with AI, we are summoning the demon. And his only recourse when it comes to this is that if you can't beat them, you got to join them. So you merge. In true American spirit. <laughs> in true American spirit. Um, and so we have to merge with the AI so for, to give ourselves an advantage. And so I think that augmentation can take different ways. Um, I think that, too, um, I wrote about this. We interviewed Peter Diamandis, who has talked about an, a world of, of, of abundance due to artificial intelligence. And what he talks about is this idea that 
we would begin to transcend ourselves. This sounds more like science fiction than science <laughs> fact, but an idea where it's almost like a hive mind, but you still have your own individuality. So there's a famous sci-fi book called uh, Star Maker and by Olaf Stapledon where he talks about the idea of what happens when more, when minds can connect. It almost feels like telepathically how they can connect with each other and the breakthroughs it will have. And so to me, I think about this, which is if more minds are connected, will that lead to greater empathy? If I can feel and think what someone else is thinking, well, would I want to invade them? Would I want to take away their resources if we are beginning to think together collaboratively? So I think that's exciting, too. It depends if we have a Borg mentality or not. Well, sure. <laughs> sure. That there's always that option. There's always that option, yes, right? Yes, it can always go badly. <laughs> Let's not forget that. It can always go badly. But another interesting consideration, I would say, uh, that I've actually spoken of with my, my wife, the ethics about this. Let's imagine that... Um, Elements of superintelligence are, are achievable, whether that be a chip you put in your head, whether it be, I don't know, some uh, shot that you take, whatever it is uh, that allows you to have superintelligence and to, um, to behave and to think in ways that are beyond what you and I can do now. What happens when everyone in class is doing that and your children haven't gotten the enhancement. Right. Do they get left behind? What are the ethical considerations of this? And I do want to talk about ethics. We're going to take a quick break. And we'll right. come right back. We'll be right back more with Michael Ashley on artificial intelligence in the workplace. Stick around. Hello, it's me, the designer jeans in the back of your closet. What happened to us? I used to summer in the Hamptons, and now I'm stuck behind a pair of sweats. Okay, maybe I never really fit you right, but I got a lot more Sunday fun days left in me. So take me to Goodwill, where I can really make a difference. Your donations to Goodwill create jobs, training programs, and education assistance for people in your community. To find your nearest donation center, go to goodwill.org. Donate stuff. Create jobs. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Our latest video-based training program is specifically designed for new employee onboarding and allows your company's HR professional an integrated opportunity to present company-specific policies and procedures on preventing unlawful conduct in the workplace. With complaints of harassment on the rise, a proactive onboarding plan that includes anti-harassment education is a smart decision. Available when you need it, where you need it, our training program is viewable on workstations and is iPad, Android, tablet, and mobile device compatible. Preview our video by going to video.sapphirelegal.com. That's video.sapphirelegal.com. If you enjoy today's show, do this. Share us. Like us. Give us a review on your favorite podcast app. It sure means a lot to us, and it ensures that more people tune in and raise the bar at workplaces everywhere. Welcome back, everyone. We're talking about artificial intelligence in the workplace with author Michael Ashley. I, I want to go back to something that you uh, you wrote an article, and in the article there was this idea of the robot manager, and I, I thought that was really interesting. Could you sort of pose that scenario for us and talk a little bit about it? Yeah, sure. So we talked earlier about how automation uh, is coming for blue and white collar jobs, and what that it term sounds so ominous. You have to Yes, it does sound that. ominous. Sounds, I said you were going to be positive. It is positive. Um, come, it could be a great thing. It could be someone showing up to your house, coming to your door, bringing you a birthday cake. That's something that nice. Dressed like death. That's Dressed, what I have well, in my mind, right? Yes. A handsome looking death. What I was, with a cupcake that's delicious with sprinkles. I'll stop. With what I was saying, though, is the idea that we may be used to, somewhat used to the idea of jobs being automated. But what happens when senior leadership gets automated? What happens when we have managers 
They're automated or even algorithms. And we're beginning to witness in more and more work for, uh, workplaces. So Neil and I co-wrote an article for the IEEE in which we talked about what this would mean for business when essentially the orders from on high are coming from an algorithm. There are benefits to that. Uh, some people might say, for instance, Peter Drucker would say um, what, uh, what gets measured uh, improves. So there are elements for improvement there, right? I mean, if the purpose of capitalism is to maximize profits and reduce redundancies, what could do it better than a machine that's coldly and, and rationally looking at ways in which we can be more efficient? However, I think when we were talking about ethics earlier, <laughs> what does that bode for people? Because even though we like to think that we're very clear-minded, rational people, we are very emotional, emotionally based. What does it mean to us when we're taking orders from a machine? Well, I think it loses. The thing I keep coming back to time and again in all of these, in my thoughts about AI and conversations, is there really is something to be said for an emotional response. Mm -hmm. I know that you know, from a, you'd mentioned productivity, right? From a right. productivity standpoint, it's always hard mm -hmm. uh, sometimes to remove that. And you think, yeah, it would be good to remove that and go back to something a little more, as you say, a, a cold analysis. Right. But I really think that as a nation, as an industrial nation, we have really forged ahead based on ingenuity, that gut instinct, and that emotional response. The amazing things that come around when you consider that one individual that you, you just had a feeling about. Resume was bad, interviewed terrible, but there was just that spark. That's my fear in, for example, onboarding or recruiting or mm -hmm. things like that, or even productivity. Right. Taking a statistical analysis to weed out services or functions of a job, something like that. It, it terrifies me a little bit. Okay, okay. We'll talk about positive stuff then. Let's let's make it positive. So <laughs> no, no, I, th I mean, I think, you know, tell me what you think about that. Well, I think there is a positive aspect of it. We wrote a different article from McGraw-Hill uh, for a blog. We're talking about uh, thanks to AIs, humans are back in demand. Right. And I think that there is a need for this, that you can't rely on cold rationality and you can't rely on, on pure data to make decisions. You need the human element. And so... I think that the more important skills of the future are going to be human beings that can straddle the line between machine and humanity. And that's a very good thing. So, for instance, I was reading a different book um, called Range, and they're talking about the, the Challenger explosion. And at the time, uh, NASA's policy was they didn't want to hear about it unless the data supported it. And there were people on the team that realized that based on their gut, like you were talking about a, mo mm -hmm. a moment ago, that they didn't think that this would be safe to go up and do this flight. But they didn't bring it up in the meeting, and they turned out to be right. And so I think that more and more, we can't just expect AI to be correct about everything. We can't just dispassionately look at the data. We also have to bring in, bring in the human element as well. And more importantly, if you bring in the human element, at the end of the day, um, our most important and valid experiences weren't dispassionate, rational moments. They were emotional moments. That's what life is. Life is emotional experiences. And for us to have joy and purpose and fulfillment in this life, we need to have both the, the, uh, the rational part and the emotional part. Yeah, I agree. I think that, but that's what's always missing from the conversations. You never hear that aspect we're bringing it back. Uh, we're bringing it back. I'm going to rely on you. <laughs> sure. you're, you're out there. You're talking about it. But I do think that it's really important. And that's part of that fear aspect is that there will be this cold atmosphere coming into the workplace that only looks at the bottom line. And it's a true marketplace, a true capitalist environment, as opposed to an environment that's, you know, engaging and cares about those things. So talking about 
where does that actually fit? In the in a perfect world, it goes down like this. We interviewed Tom Girardi, um, who was the real-life lawyer portrayed in Aaron Brockovich, and he talks about, in his view, and I've heard this from many other people too, lawyers are not going to be replaced. However, tasks today that paralegals do or junior attorneys, tasks will be automated, but the lawyers, the people that sit down with you, that hold your hand during a difficult moment in your life, like like a divorce, same with doctors. Some of the, the let's say, things that doctors do, like reading a chart, an AI can do it better, but can an AI sit and hold someone's hand that's been diagnosed with cancer? No. And so I think AI poses an opportunity for us to be more human than we've been before. It's to focus on what we do best, which is to in- integrate um, disparate forms of information, to be loving, to be kind, to be empathetic, to be creative. Um, that's what I think the opportunities AI affords us. But it's years of, it's getting over years of sci-fi movies and and sure. books and, right. you know, the paranoia of, you know, don't trust anybody and sure. don't trust government and Big Brother's coming and all that. That's a lot. That's it's not only reality for some people, sure. but it's also socially ingrained for the, for those of us that don't ascribe to that on a daily basis. I mean, I right. wouldn't say I don't trust government. I, at this point, it's <laughs> everything's changing at this point for me. But up to this point, I really haven't ascribed to that idea that, oh, don't trust government, because I didn't have that experience in my life. But it's still out there. It's still It's still part of our social fabric sure to feel that way that's a lot to get over i think it definitely is but i think shows like this um bring bring it to the to awareness the more that we have these discussions the better so right. for instance right now there's a social credit system going on in china um unfortunately in this country we have a democracy we can influence government we can influence leadership so we should be talking about these concerns as a people I think that now is the time, in spite of, you know, movies that we've we've seen, such as 2001 Space Odyssey, right. a lot of hype that's out there. All of this necessitates a conversation. I don't think that even what, what um, Andrew Yang is, is doing is enough. We should be having this be the conversation that we're talking about in the presidential debates. We should be having ombudsmen uh, create task force to talk about the future of artificial intelligence because this isn't out there five years from now. This is here now. Well, in the conversations that are going on, it's interesting you mentioned the law. As, as I, I think I mentioned to you when we were preparing for this show a little bit, I said it's going on right now in the legal industry in the state of California. Mm-hmm. And the messages that we're getting are not, it's no wonder everybody's got their backup because sure. the messages aren't about how it's going to work, about the fact that it's going to be a tool to assist, not a tool to replace. Mm-hmm. That's not the message that's coming down. That's not, the message is more about what I think happens in a lot of workplaces. It's like technology's coming, get on board to get out of the way. Sure. And how you, do, but not the how and the why and actually getting people on board. So I, I think that's really interesting. Let's switch gears for a minute because I want to I want to hear your thoughts on this. So we've talked to a couple people. You know, we had a couple shows about AI in the workplace and kind of how it's how it's happening right now and what's going on. And we had a gentleman on who was really interesting talking about employee engagement. And that, and coupled with another show we had on, I got this feeling in the back of my mind, like I kind of feel manipulated by technology, the use of technology in the workplace. Have you? Have you encountered that in your... Sure. Well, I think if you think about the tools that we use with AI, they're meant to manipulate and trick us. I mean, the developers of Facebook have come out and said that they used casino gaming technologies to get our attention. So that was kind of along the lines of the employee engagement aspect of it was they were uh, designed algorithms or whatever they were doing, you know, some some 
program that they're selling to companies for employee engagement. It had to do with stuff like that. They were using gamer mentality Mm -hmm. and all that research about gaming and how it affects your mind and all that kind of stuff. And I just kind of felt like, are you truly getting from a workplace perspective, a realistic view if you're, that's the data in, data out sort of. Sure. Artificial intelligence, I don't know that I completely trust. I think what the challenge is is that we have a system, um, the the best one we know right now, to exchange goods and services, which is capitalism. But capitalism isn't always compatible with humanity. And so if you have (laughs) considerations... So if if you're making considerations over laying somebody off to make more money, if from a capitalist perspective, you know which choice you're going to make. And so there is... There is a gamification. There is a, an, a le- an element of tricking people to make more money. Um, but what I think we need to begin to do is we need to begin to see the humanity in other people. The other thing that I said at the end of the article, when, when Neil and I wrote that article together, what we were saying is that we need to change the way that we relate to each other. We need to find value in other people that's much more than how much money they can earn us. Even this might, this might sound too sentimental, but this is the way that Kai-Fu Lee And this is book. If we recognize that automation is coming from most jobs, and here's that word again, how do we begin to relate to each other? Well, we begin to relate to each other in the way that we should have been doing all along, which was to be kind to one another and to see the value in the other person just because they're a living creature. Well, you know, that tugs my heartstrings with the whole (laughs) etiquette sort of thing. And I do think that's, I, I, I ascribe to that wholeheartedly. I think that's true. I do think that from the stuff I've read from, from your book and all those other things, I do see that there's a little bit of a hopeful side there if it's, if it's, presented the right way, if it's, you know, if the workforce of the future takes the time to do the things, like you say, to bring empathy back, to to get buy-in. And I hate to use the word buy-in when we're talking about, you know, something sincere because it sounds a little insincere, but that buy-in of understanding. Mm-hmm. The only way you're going to get buy-in is if people actually understand what's going on. And technology is just so far above most of us in our everyday lives sure. that we're like, right. I don't get it. Yeah. I just I, don't get it. I see it all the time. I see a lot of reticence when I talk to people. I, g- I give a lot of speeches and they just don't want to hear about it. You know, they just want to say this is going to be a, fa- a passing trend. This, is, this isn't going to last. But the, th- the thing is, it is. And that's why it goes back to awareness, having more conversations about this and having a public discussion about what this means um, is necessary right now. Yeah, I think so, too. I, interesting. Interesting. I think the ethics, if I had kids these days going off to college, I'd tell them, get into ethics. Sure. I think it's going to be huge because you can't, uh, you really can't, the AI learning, especially the stuff that's data input, data out. I'm not sure if that's, you know, but the actual learning side of things. And I guess there are some of these things automating and all that, that, that ethics is just going to be huge. Well, if you think about it, um, another misconception people have is that they think that what artificial intelligence is, is more what's called general artificial intelligence, which means uh, the consciousness that you and I take for granted. But what is actually in use today is artificial narrow intelligence. So to go back to the earlier reference we make, that's your your spam uh, filter on in your inbox is for one specific purpose. Artificial intelligence can't do what you and I can do, which is to integrate information, which comes back to ethics. You need to have a sense of philosophy, of history, because that's something AI cannot do. And most people think we'll never be able to do. And so that again, uh, speaks to the need for humanity. I do think wholly at that. I think you're absolutely right. I just want to keep talking about this. I love this topic so much, and I've been so excited for this show. But obviously, of course, you have delved so deep into this issue. And so as we wrap up today's show, can you kind of give us your thoughts for the future? 
Yes, I think that artificial intelligence is exactly what humanity needs in this moment. In a sense, it's a catalyst for us to change how we relate to each other. For too long, if you think about our modern educational system, has graduated students that were more akin to robots. Guess what? We have robots now. What do we need? We need people, and we need to be kinder to people. That's our show for today. Michael, I am so thankful you came on the show today. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. If you want to learn more about Michael, you can find him on the web at inkwordsmiths.com. You can also connect to Michael on LinkedIn and via our website at sapphirelegal.com slash podcast and clicking on episode 29. I want to also thank our listeners, My Radio Angels, James and the Nave at Night, and Workplace Perspectives Team Extraordinaire, our engineer, Paul Roberts, our associate producer, Michelle Hardy, with music provided by the very talented Stephen Versaloni. Thank you all for joining us on Workplace Perspective, and until next time, keep raising the bar.